quick content warning this week, there are some adult themes as well as a king who wants to marry his daughter. Nothing graphic, but if you'd like more information, please check out the post on mythpodcast.com. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories from Italy where we learn that nothing can keep true love apart. Not evil sisters, defective Mario pipes, or even your beloved turning into a bear. The creature this week is the Whiffenpoof, a creature that absolutely ignores the rules about free samples at the supermarket. This is Myths and Legends, episode 249, Unbearable. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in the stories of Giambattista Basile, one of the earliest collectors of folk and fairy tales, and the infamous writer of the original version of Sleeping Beauty which you can check out with some very heavy content warnings in episode 119. Today, there are two love stories. The first is Nella, and the prince that would do anything to be with her, except, you know, marry her. Nella was a princess. And she absolutely got all of her parents' charm, grace, health, ability... She was quick to pick up anything in school, did her royal duties like it was nothing, was beloved by noble, servant, commoner, royal, everyone. Well, almost everyone. You see, Nella had it all, which was why her two other sisters were wondering why nothing had been left for them. One writer says that her two older sisters wanted her dead. More specifically, they wanted her in the ground. But the story tells us that they didn't want her in the ground as much as the public wanted to raise her up, which shouldn't give you the impression that they had any love for her, just that everyone else loved her so much. That, of course, made the older princesses even angrier, leading to them hating her more, and the whole thing is like a morbid, murderous feedback loop. They disliked her all the more, because all the princes that came by weren't all that interested in the two older sisters. They wanted to marry the youngest, Nella but the mother forbade it because, like the 90s movie 10 Things I Hate About You or a less misogynistic Taming of the Shrew, Nella couldn't marry unless her older sisters married first. Well, eventually, a prince came along that Nella couldn't forget, one that she was as attracted to as he was to her. They spent some time in semi-solitude, lamenting their fates, that they couldn't be together until the older two got married, and that wasn't happening anytime soon. The prince smiled. Oh, but, you know, what if they could be together without being married? (laughs) Nella laughed. I mean, yes, absolutely. She was down for that, but there was the little problem of, you know, castle walls, a moat, multiple men with weapons guarding multiple doors to prevent that. It was a nice thought, but it couldn't happen, no matter how much she wanted it to. The prince winked and pressed a bag of powder in her hand. He said he would make a way for him to come to her. When the time was right, and she would know when to use it, she need only throw that on the fire in her room at night, and he would be on his way. Just don't marry anyone in the meantime. She looked on her older sisters, looking on her with a sneer, sitting next to their own visiting princes, who were also looking at Nella, eyebrows waggling, She said she didn't think that was an option anyway. The princesses said goodbye to the princes, 
And as months passed, Nella didn't know how her prince was going to make it happen. But then, one night, the princess heard a tap-tap-tapping on the floor below her. Then, a stone started to shift. Then, a light from a lantern shone through the cracks as a man grunted and hefted the stone from the floor away from the opening of the hole. Nella looked down, squinting. She asked, Was it him? Was it her love? When her eyes adjusted to the light, she could see that it was... Lou, how's it going? The man said, sticking out his hand. The princess shook his hand. He asked if she was the youngest princess, the one with whom the prince was in love. Nella blushed. Oh, well, yes. She supposed she was. Lou turned down and whispered that they did it. It was the right room. First try, too. A hushed cheer went up from the team in the hall. The prince had made good on his promise to find a way to see the young woman regularly. And as soon as they parted, he went to work calling in some workers, getting some quotes, and soon construction had begun on a long glass tube that stretched from the prince's mansion outside of the city straight to the princess's bedroom. Glass, you know, because he wanted something strong and easy to construct. And he wanted to take in the sights of the subterranean world. You know, like dirt, worms, and rocks. I would imagine that the construction team tried to persuade him to go with, say, a green metal pipe, but the prince couldn't be dissuaded. Some time later, after a lot of extremely hot and dangerous work where they somehow constructed a glass pipe underground, it was done. Nella signed off on the work on her end and eyed the pouch of powder. She didn't wait, tossed the powder into the fireplace after her serving woman had gone to bed, and a glowing blue smoke rose from the tower. The prince, who hired someone to always be watching for the blue smoke, got the signal, and he was on his way. Naked. Yes, he disrobed, descended into the pipe, and ran the eight miles to his beloved. Let's say he was naked because he wanted to reduce wind resistance and just leave it at that. The prince popped up through the pipe in the princess's bedroom, and the pair said a very enthusiastic hello. As they sat next to each other, after getting reacquainted, the princess marveled at the glass tube that connected her directly to the man she loved. This was amazing, but, uh, what happened to Lou? Lou? Oh, Lou, yes. The prince snapped his fingers. The contractor, Lou. Uh, well, due to the secrecy needed for this tunnel, he had to take care of Lou and his subcontractors. The princess gasped. Oh, wow, okay. That was a bit of a shock. She didn't know the prince was that type of monarch. The prince put his hand on his chest. What? No, 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 no. Lou just went to live on a farm upstate. Plenty of fresh air, projects. He can run around all day with his contractor buddies, chasing bids, doing quotes. He loves it. He's never been happier. Trust me. The princess looked down. Wow. Okay, cool. He did good work, though. A glass pipe, huh? The prince nodded. Yep. The prince said he glided right here like Super Mario. Oh, yeah, Mario was another one of the contractors who taught him how to travel long distances via pipe. He's a super guy. He's at the farm with Lou. Just then, there was a sound at the door. The prince gasped and dove down the hole. 
the potted plant Nella had placed against the door scraped on the stone as one of her sisters tried to peer in. Hey, was Nella all right? Nella said, yeah, why? Her sister said she heard screaming? Nella said, oh, it was, she was up walking around and stubbed her toe, and she slammed the door in her sister's face. Two weeks later, when the prince saw the blue smoke go up, illuminated, he told his servants not to wait up for him. He would be back by morning. The prince wasn't halfway before the tunnel began to crack. His bare feet whined to a stop on the glass. There, in the light of the lantern runners that the workers had put in, the prince watched a crack snake its way along the top of the pipe. Oh no. Luckily, he had been doing 16 miles of cardio a day for the last two weeks, so he was ready to run for his life. He was within a mile of home when the tunnel started coming down around him in razor shards. He could feel the once stable pipe begin to slice his feet. He was almost there. He could see the firelight of his mansion in the woods when the tunnel came down. Shattered glass buried the prince. On the other side, Nella sat, waiting on her prince that would never come. A week later at breakfast, one of Nella's older sisters mentioned, in passing, that news had come from the kingdom where Nella's prince's dad ruled. She didn't call it that, she just named the kingdom. Nella sat up. What? The daughter smiled. Yeah, she didn't know. Weird. Well, it turned out the son, the prince, was in a horrible accident, buried by broken glass, cut a thousand times. The sister's mock shuddered. Oh, just terrible. How could that even happen, to be buried in broken glass? One sister asked. I don't know, maybe a building full of mirrors fell on him one sister offered. Oh, or he was running naked through a glass tube, the first said. That's pretty specific, sister. As specific as it is dangerous and impractical for underground travel, they nodded, eyebrows arched. Wouldn't you agree, Nella? Tears streaming down Nella's cheeks, the youngest didn't answer. She pushed herself away from the table and ran from the room. The prince wasn't dead. He wasn't doing well, but he wasn't dead. His servants had dragged him from the pipe and gotten him to the capital, where the best doctors 17th century medicine could produce were watching over him. Their diagnosis was that the glass had been enchanted, so that's why it hadn't killed him. But their talents only went that far, to say that the reason he wasn't dead was basically magic. The king put out a proclamation. Whoever found a way to save his son would have half of his kingdom, if the savior was male, and the son as a husband, if the savior was female. There are a lot of assumptions to unpack there, but we won't. This was Nella's chance. If she could make it to the other kingdom and there marry the son, her parents couldn't do anything about it. She ordered a servant up, paid the young woman to switch clothes with her, and while the fake Nella stayed locked in her room, the reel slipped out through the front gate, alongside the dozens of people going this way and that throughout the kingdom. Now, Nella had never heard this podcast before kind of because discoverability is still a problem the industry's trying to solve, but also because it was 17th century Italy and podcasting hadn't been invented yet. If she had heard the show, she would know to never enter the dark forest alone. The thundering footsteps of an ogre, though, had the reach that we didn't. 
and Nella scrambled up a tree moments before the monster came thundering past and into the house that wasn't 20 feet away. Nella picked her way across the branches to the roof of the house. She sat listening at the chimney. She didn't think she could make it if she tried to go on foot. She didn't know how good ogre hearing was, so she would just wait until they slept. Then, something caught her attention. The ogres, who were kind of a sweet little couple and would call each other by pet names such as Harry, Tusky, and Drooler, were talking about the latest news. Rumor was that the prince had gotten himself hurt when a glass tunnel he had made collapsed on him as he was running naked to go see a lover. It was a scandal, but the king was trying to keep that part under wraps because he was currently trying to keep his son's soul in his body when it was desperately trying to escape out of so many wounds. The ogre couple laughed. <laughs> Doctors. They were overmatched from the start. Since it was enchanted glass, there was only one thing that could save the prince and heal his wounds in time for him to live. They both laughed, but then the husband said, yeah, uh, he actually didn't know what that was. Our fat, the wife said. And then Nella heard the slap of someone grabbing someone else's belly. Their fat, rendered down and rubbed on the wounds, would heal the prince instantly. She said that she didn't think anyone knew that, but just be on the lookout for nights anyway. They couldn't help out the prince without becoming at least as dead, so they were just going to keep their heads down and... There was a knock at the door. The ogre couple looked at one another. Who could that be? The door creaked open and both of them looked down to see a young woman in a dirty cloak, head bowed and hands out, begging for bread. The female ogre looked down with a sneer. It was some kid begging for bread. Did they have any old, stale, moldy bread lying around? The, the male ogre looked at the girl and said he just remembered something that he needed to talk to his wife about. Uh, privately. He went to the door, smiled, and said he would just be one minute. The door slammed in Nella's face. From the other side of the flimsy door, she could hear the male ogre saying that he really wanted to eat some of that sweet, sweet Christian flesh. The female ogre replied that there had to be some better way to say that. Outside, Nella thought that there really wasn't any good way to express your preference for consuming human flesh, regardless of religion. But then the door swung open. The ogres told the girl that it was getting late and she couldn't very well keep traveling in the dark forest at night. Nella smiled. She couldn't agree more. We'll see Nella's plan for rescuing the prince come to its greasy conclusion, but that will be right after this. Um, so, murderous fairy tale pro tip. If you're planning on eating your captive, you probably don't want to overdo it at dinner. The couple was so celebratory that they guzzled the wine and, well, they weren't in their 20s anymore. What used to mean party time now meant sleepy time. And after a few cups, they were out. Nella, for her credit, made it quick. I mean, she pretty much had to. They were sleepy, but they weren't comatose, and I can imagine that nothing would sober you up faster than that dessert you lured into your home coming at you with a knife after your spouse woke you up screaming. She found one of their bags, lopped off enough of their fat to fill it, and spent the night in their little cottage. No sense rolling the dice twice in one night and going back out in the dark forest when she could just, like, 
put a blanket over their bodies. She arrived at the prince's kingdom the following day, not running into any more problems in the dark forest. She was led in to see the unconscious prince, blood still soaking his bandages, and presented a vial of the rendered ogre fat. The doctor shrugged, why not? They had just been trying to purge him of the contaminated blood with leeches and bloodletting, so let's give some imaginary magic fat a shot. Oh, wow, it's working. The prince Wolverine healed, and when he awoke, he shot up in a panic. The tunnel, the tunnel was collapsing. Then he looked around him. Wait, what's going on? The king introduced the prince to his new wife, but the man crossed his arms and shook his head. Nope, sorry, he was in love. He didn't mean to disappoint his father, but he felt it violated his rights as a person to be forced into marrying someone he barely knew as a reward and oh my gosh, we've been doing this to women like forever. That's horrible, we should stop. Nella took the prince's hand and said, it's okay. He didn't need to marry her, but he might want to. She took one of the rags and dipped it in the water that had been used to wash the prince. She wiped away the dirt that caked her face for some reason, revealing his beloved. The pair embraced, and the king, considering it a freebie that the girl who saved his son actually turned out to be a princess from a powerful kingdom, consented to the marriage. The marriage was announced, and Nella invited her sisters to her new kingdom. She forgave them for sabotaging the tunnel. But, tragically, they both died accidentally and simultaneously when they dropped down chimneys onto some fire. This tale ends, remarking that the story proves the truth of the saying, no evil has ever gone unpunished. Which, and I know this is misanthropic, is not remotely true. Today's next story starts off with a fairly gross, if tropey, premise. It's The She-Bear by Giambattista Basile. Oh dear child, what's wrong? The elderly maid said, stroking the princess's hair. The princess was in tears. She tried to speak, but her words only came out in sobs. Is it that your dear queen mother is dead, young one? The older woman asked. The girl shook her head. Oh, okay, well, is it that your father is looking for a new wife and invited dozens of young girls of various nationalities to line up in front of him so he could judge them instantly by appearance in an event that was both racist and misogynistic? The girl, again, shook her head. Ah, it's that your father is looking for a new wife, it's you, and the ceremony is right now. The older woman asked, rhetorically. It was absolutely that. The girl confirmed it with a nod. The elderly woman grumbled as she shook her head. The old woman said she didn't know which was worse. The fact that he was forcing his own daughter into marriage? Or that the way he was doing it was just so tropey and lazy? The daughter said, uh, definitely the first one. And the elderly woman continued. I bet he said your mom said he couldn't marry anyone unless she was as beautiful as his late wife, right? The girl nodded and wiped her eyes. Apparently she had also, quote, pointed her breasts at him as an ancient world way to drive the curse home. The elderly woman nodded. Oh, wow, yikes, that was a new one. Still, here you go. The elderly woman held up a stick. A stick, the girl asked. A stick, the elderly woman smiled. And what was she supposed to do with this? Like, jab him in the throat or something? The woman smiled even better. When the time came, all the girl had to do was put the stick in her mouth. Lodge it way back there between her cheek and her back teeth. 
and all her problems would be solved. The woman patted the girl on the back and hobbled off while the girl continued to get ready for her wedding. To her father, yeah. The king was hanging out the window in his pajamas, holding onto a blanket for dear life. Nearly a dozen of the palace guards had been attacked, and the princess and the new bride, yuck, the princess had been eaten. Probably. I mean, she was in the same hallway from which a bear had emerged, and no one had seen her since, so yeah, that was the most logical conclusion. The bear, however, lumbered from the castle, already swiping aside anyone who got in its way. And, after the people with the weapons were sufficiently subdued, no one else got in its way. The king didn't know how a bear had gotten into the palace on this, the day of his daughter's wedding, but they all rejoiced to find that the bear was gone. Somewhere, miles away, the bear sat by a stream as the sun rose. It stuck a claw into its mouth. Finally, it snagged what it was looking for, and the stick came loose. The princess spat out the stick and looked around. She had done it. She was free. She was, ah, hey there. Who's he? The princess spied a young man through the trees, waking up at his small campsite with a handful of servants and hunting companions. Then they met eyes. She gasped and dove back. The prince rose from his cot and tilted his head to look through the trees, but the eyes were gone. He crept over, parted the branches, and gasped. A bear. Kill it. But as his men rushed forward with arrows and spears, the prince held up a hand and they stopped. The bear wasn't attacking. It was spinning around, wagging its bear tail. The prince held out a hand and the bear bowed low, approaching so that the prince could pet her head. The prince asked if she was a tamed bear and the bear licked his hand. The prince looked over to his companions. All right, new plan, pet bear. We'll see what happens when the prince brings home a wild pet she-bear. But that, once again, will be right after this. So, okay, uh, wow, you brought home a wild she-bear, the queen stated. Tamed bear, yes, the prince corrected. The mother nodded, sure. He brought home a bear, and now he wanted the she-bear to cook for him, feed him, and serve him. <laughs> yes, and as the ranking male monarch, I can have anyone executed for not obeying my every whim. So, grab some chickens and let's get this bear cooking, the prince said. The mother whose side the armed hunters did not leave, almost said that this would never work, until it did. The she-bear took the chicken into her claws, scalded it, plucked it, cleaned it, and then put half on the spit, roasting it, and then making a stew from the other half. Everyone in the kitchen was awestruck, and the prince? The prince actually ate his dinner. The story says that he wouldn't even eat sugar before, but he gobbled up the chicken and asked for seconds. The mother, the queen, didn't even care that the bear was an apparently wild animal that could maul them at a moment's notice. Her son was eating something other than sugar. The she-bear stayed. And the bear couldn't just cook. 
she would make the bed each morning and do turndown service each night, complete with, and this is a quote, running to the garden to get a paw full of roses and orange blossoms, which she scattered on the bed and around the bedroom. She cleaned up, she got everyone drinks. The queen saw that her son was right to be fond of the beast. But she didn't know how fond of the bear the prince was, or the exact nature of his fondness. You see, the prince began to grow ill. The doctors couldn't quite figure out what it was. He was eating better than ever. He was getting enough exercise, playing with the bear in the courtyard. He was sleeping great in his clean, scented bedroom. But he was dying. I want to kiss the bear, Mom, the young man demanded of his mother. Absolutely not, the queen replied. Mother, I will die of a broken heart if I do not kiss this bear. Why won't you let me kiss this bear? The prince's tears were soaking his silk doublet. Uh, so many reasons, the queen said. But the first, and the only reason that really mattered? It's a bear. Then you want me to die, the prince said, crossing his arms and rolling over. The mother said that he wasn't going to die if he didn't kiss a bear. He might die if he did kiss a wild bear, though. I said good day, the prince barked. No, you didn't. Get well soon, son, the queen said leaving the room. The doctors stood assembled in front of the queen. They cleared their throats. Their prescription? Let the prince kiss the bear. Are you serious right now? The queen said. The men nodded in unison. I mean... Had the prince threatened to execute them if they didn't say that? Sure, but it was actually also their opinion. There was nothing wrong with the prince, but he was dying. Why not let him kiss the bear? What harm could it do now? The queen sighed and dismissed the doctors. All right, here goes nothing. She appeared in the prince's doorway with the bear. It was worse than she thought. He was near fainting. She threw up her hands and, turning to the bear, said exactly this in one version. Kiss him. Kiss him, oh my beautiful bear. Do not leave my poor son to die in despair. The bear ran to the prince, who, taking her bare face into his hands and, quote, her cheeks between his fingers, really just went for it. The mother. Wow. She never thought she would have to hope to never see her son making out with a bear, but yeah, can't unsee that. The story says that it doesn't know how it happened, but the stick came loose from the princess's mouth. I have some ideas, but we won't go into that. While she remained in the prince's arms, she transformed back into her human self. The prince, realizing that there was a human girl who wanted to make out with him, found that to be vastly preferable to a bear. The mother was shocked, and when the princess took a break to tell the prince, and this is once again a direct quote, I am in your hands, I surrender my honor to your loyalty, do with me what you will, the mother said, all right, and that's where we'll be stopping for today. Also, I'm still here. The princess explained her whole situation to the queen, that she herself was a princess wronged by her terrible father. The queen said that it was obvious that the pair was in love. It, she glanced to her son. They were in love, right? He loved the princess in the bear and not like the bear, right? 
The sun nodded, yeah. Humans were definitely preferable to bears, he knew that now. The queen smiled, cool. The pair kept kissing, but the queen reminded them that she was still in the room, and that if they wanted to continue, they could get married. And they did. The princess was perfectly content to continue letting her family think she had been eaten, in that rare castle bear attack, and the queen was happy her son was happy, growing up, and had married well. And the prince was happy that his human wife was a human, and not a bear. I mean, probably. Though he was weirdly into that bear. That's it for the stories this week. Next week, there are grim stories. Then the week after that, it's a Christmas ghost story. And then we return to the Monkey King. It's a fun few weeks coming up. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a hairy belly tie, a tie that makes it look like the middle of your shirt is missing and it's just hair and belly, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show that are sadly not the shirt equivalent of a glass-bottom boat tour of a hairy belly. Check out mythpodcast.com membership for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the Whiffenpoof, a fearsome critter from North America. The Whiffenpoof is also called the Gilly Galoo fish, because the first was maybe a little too ridiculous. It's a large fish that can only be found in perfectly circular lakes in northern North America. The original, which I copied and pasted on the site, says that you can use a hog yoke to determine your exact position though a cursory Google only presents results containing the Whiffenpoof, so I'm starting to think that this compendium of North American cryptids might not be on the level. Anyway, you'll want to go out in winter to catch the Whiffenpoof, because it's just too big to try to catch any other time. You should cut a square hole in the middle of the pond, and then bring out a cheese plate. As fancy as the 112-year-old Yale singing group, whose name it inspired, they're actually pretty good, check them out, the Whiffenpoof is all about fancy cheeses. Stilton, Liederkranz, Limburger, or Brie are the best. I love Brie. My respiratory system doesn't. I'm allergic to it. And yet I still eat it because I won't let the allergies win. I think that's how it works. Anyway, get your stinky cheese on that fish hook, lower it into the water, and wait. Like my son and me in a pre-COVID grocery store, the Whiffenpoof is all about those free cheese samples and will go in for the bite. But you have to be ready. You have to pull back at the cheese at just the right moment and get the whiff and poof to come out of the water. Then, well, this is from the early 1900s, so it makes some assumptions about your tobacco use. Basically, I hope you've been practicing with that spittoon at the saloon, because while the whiff and poof is above water, you need to hit it with that high pulp tobacco juice directly in its eye. How would you feel if someone lured you in with a cheese platter and then hit your eye with some dip spit? Not great, right? Well, the whiff and poof shares that feeling. It gets all puffed up with rage and then realizes that it just puffed itself up way bigger than the hole out of which its head is peeking. And your job is done. Like Homer Simpson getting his arms stuck in a vending machine, all the whiff and poof has to do is let it go. Maybe it can do some breathing exercises, try out a free trial of headspace. I don't know. But really, it just needs to relax so it can unpuff itself and slip safely back into the water. The tragedy is that it's never able to do that. 
and stays stuck so that the fisher can easily net the head. Now, all you have to do is get that giant creature who's many times the size of your boat and whose eye you just spit in out of the water, drag it across the lake, and get it into your, I guess, waiting carriage. All that leads me to believe that anyone who ever tries to catch a whiff and poof hasn't really thought it through. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.